0: welcome to building a hundred million pound business in public four years ago i was having lunch with my friend logan when we half joked about racing to a hundred million and it's always stayed in my head what does it take to build a hundred million pound business on this podcast i ask my network and speak to vcs founders dni specialists marketeers and more to share their top tips some have made it some are on the way and all have a story to tell So Today, I'm joined by Logan. Uh, He's the group CEO of Kernel Global, one of the FT1000 fastest growing businesses in Europe. Uh, In my my mind, he's the best leader in the recruitment space today, and most significantly and unfortunately, he's better than me at tennis. So Welcome, Logan.
1: Hey, James. Of those three statements, one one of them is definitely true, and that's
0: the (laughs) tennis one. (laughs) Well, Pat, Pat, you've talked more about the the FT1000, I'm pretty sure that's true as well.
1: Yeah, apparently. Yeah, we, we made we made that list. Yeah, but top and tail. Middle one, we're not so sure about. But I'll take <laughs>
0: it. Thank you. You're welcome. So yeah, why why don't you sort of tell us a bit more about Kernel?
1: Yeah, happy to. So um, business is now nine years old. It wasn't always called Kernel. We were initially Dartmouth Partners, and then we we grew that organically. Um, top and bottom line by thirty percent. We acquired a business called Pure Search in 2019, and Kernel was formed last year as the as the top co the the, the idea of the, the group and the, the sub brands that we have a multi-brand multi-niche specialist approach to the different verticals that that we
0: operate in. Nice. And you've been in recruitment for a while now. Yeah um,
1: I've been running a recruitment business for 16 16 years under two different two different guises and had uh, one year of recruitment before that. So it's now 17 years. And three years of of normal finance experience prior to that, so I'm definitely more a recruiter than a, than a financier.
0: Well, I, mean, I, I suppose this is where, where I introduce you to kind of the best leader I know in the recruitment space today, because you've always been the guy I've gone to around sort of how to structure recruitment businesses from a really recruitment perspective.
1: Yeah, thank you. I mean, the, the nice thing is I, when I was listening to part of the podcast, I'm actually the the Logan, aren't I, uh, that was having lunch with you when you when you were more fully immersed in the space four years ago um, but yeah kind of be to say
0: yeah well I, th- I think what really impressed me is how you structure the businesses just how you go about structuring it um, and having sold one it feels like you've taken that lesson very much into Dartmouth and now kernel.
1: yeah I think so I mean my, my view is at, at its heart these are reasonably simple businesses because it's it's people process performance and then hit repeat and, and so we don't you know we don't have that many moving parts obviously the people the people bit can can be uh very complex sometimes but getting getting that bit right getting getting the culture right making sure you're giving people the tools to do the job well and then setting the bar high culturally i think kind of is is the nub of, of running these businesses um and i think also we just tend to we, we tend to i think as people running recruitment businesses quite often approach them as people who are good at recruitment and doing recruitment and we forget that actually the the transition is actually running a business and if you want to start scaling a business beyond just being on the tools the whole time Um, and from what we see in the industry that's where a lot of these businesses sort of get stuck in a a bit of a rut going up and down a little bit because the people running them probably are still thinking like recruiters.
0: Yeah and I suppose that's the challenge isn't it in this space is how you and it's because of is really scaling and achieving that 100 million. And in recruitment businesses, there's often quite a high churn rate. So that, that can limit your, your, your scale capability. So, how, how have you sort of addressed that?
1: Well, we've still got a churn rate. I think I've, I've actually got the stats right in front of me because we're, we're, we're doing this at the moment. But our, our retention rate uh, is 71% across the group, which we're, we're quite pleased with considering how, how quickly they're growing. And actually, if you strip out the ones that leave, involuntary leavers or people who don't pass probation it's as high as 82 percent so i think we're, we're pretty good at hiring well and then retaining people that we want to retain you know the core to that is getting getting i think culture and expectations right alongside the lnd piece and, and making sure that's fit for purpose for allowing people to, to flourish
0: okay so and what are the elements in that so you say getting the culture piece right what does that look like
1: I guess that culture and values are sort of nebulous things that everyone now talks about uh, in a slightly nebulous way. But my view generally is we've you know, we've got five five values. The two things that I think we set our store by, or that I set our store by, highly one is, one is kindness. And I think you know, it's a bit of a punchline in the recruitment industry, but I think there's no there's no reason why you can't treat your people well. And you know, I, I say to our staff, you'll know, you'll next to never hear me raise my voice. I mean, Obviously, it's easy because I've got a very quiet voice anyway. <laughs> um but you know I think it, it pays to be calm and considered and go out of your way to be helpful and I, I hope that characterizes my behaviour. Um, we tend to promote managers that act in a similar way um, and and not actually promote the ones that don't it doesn't mean you're gonna make not make some tough decisions you know kindness doesn't mean being soft sometimes you are gonna to have to make some very difficult decisions that are unpleasant but then adjacent to that is excellence and the bar is deliberately really, really high across the group in terms of what performance looks like, what good looks like, especially for you know an outward-facing business. So, trying to treat candidates and clients, giving them a premium service, uh, allows allows us to, to set our stall out as a premium business. Um, and so, that bit in terms of culture, um, and just not being sloppy at the margins. As you get as you grow, one of my fears is that we just start to become a bit complacent, take things for granted. You know, I think it's, it actually pays to be in the detail you know, constantly, um, also whilst not looking losing sight of what you're trying to build.
0: So this, there's two elements there. so sort of One is kindness, one is excellence. And it's interesting, it <laughs> echoes something that Shelby was on the podcast before said, this kind of really caring about your people, but really caring about that customer and excellence and delivery and how they, they don't have to be conflicting. How, how does that play for you? Do, you? do you think they work together or do you think they work against each other? That's sort a of drive to be kind and that drive to be excellent.
1: I actually think they're symbiotic, and I, you know, what I'd say is that I actually think it makes good commercial sense to try and take a long term view on things and on people, and to to look after them. Um, and personally, I guess partly because of my faith, but partly because of who I am, I think that's uh, I think it is the right thing to do. But I actually think it's also the right business thing to do as well. Is is that patient spirit, you know, navigating it, people knowing that your yes is a yes and your no is a no. Um, as I said, it does. It, sometimes you have to make really difficult decisions around people who aren't working out or who don't hold the same values or are bad actors, and that's unfortunate. But it, you know, people also know that you're someone that's going to you know, generally stand by what you, you say you're going to do. Um, and we've had instances over the years where we've had to exit people from the business for you know, being, being bad actors. But I think it reinforces the idea that actually this this isn't a business that only cares about performance we actually care about marching the culture and your values sometimes cost you you know if you're losing good people who are good at the job i should say rather than a three good people it's got an economic impact but i think overall getting that cultural piece right and um, there's a real value to it
0: so let's say we had a, a top performer then who who was a bad actor is that an easy decision for you it's yeah
1: you know i've done this um and it's not a it's not an easy decision at the time because you, you know, you do worry about the revenue, but equally looking back, back on it, it's an easy, easy decision to, to, to do because um, you can't have bad actors in the business again, because I think if you lose your culture and we, we, we talk about this and we talk about you know, kindness and excellence and, you know, what it, what it means to, to, to do both, you start to sound very hollow and people can see through it. And, you know, we, you know, we, well, I've just done a, a new joiner's onboarding session uh, an hour ago, um, and it's quite interesting. Saying, "Look, you know what we talked about when you were being interviewed. Has that played out?" And they've all uniformly said, so, "Look, you talked about it." I was quite surprised. People were saying it's a really kind business. You'll get treated well. You know, recruitment comes with some preconceptions, but I have been treated really well so far. You know, I've, I've enjoyed my time here. People go out of their way to be helpful, um, and that has a ripple effect across the business. That People will enjoy the workplace, and typically, you'll, you'll know this. Recruitment businesses, you almost go in um, expecting to tolerate the day rather than enjoy the day. Um, and I don't think that mm. long term drives great performance out of people. You know equally, as I said, that the excellence part. I think people work really hard in our in our group, and 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 do go the extra one or two miles. But we don't have to police that. That's just an expectation because people we, we hire people who want to be good and have generally an in a drive to succeed.
0: Hmm. I mean, one, one thought that, was, that struck me this week by preparing for this podcast was I wonder whether this, this, this focus on culture has been driven by the increased amount of re- remote working on the grounds that culture is kind of what people do when you're not looking. And given that most people are not in the office, You're not looking at your people a lot. So actually, culture has people have begun to really understand the value of culture when you can't see people. What what, what do you think?
1: That's a really good question. I I, I think there's been a general trend of talking about culture for the last 10 years. And it's been it's been, as I said at the start, it's, it's quite a nebulous idea. And it's it's resonated in the last 12 months where we've been working remotely as to how will I be treated by the company I work for when I'm out of sight? And what does that mean? Um, and I mean, I know it's not uniform, but I think by and large, CEOs and leaders last year worked extremely hard at getting their arms around their people and their businesses to make them feel secure in an incredibly insecure environment, particularly at the start of lockdown. And mm. that, that seems to be, have been alongside keeping most of the businesses afloat, You know, one of the biggest concerns of how do I make sure that we look after our people?
0: Mm. Oh, I mean, slightly random thought we triggered trigger there is I wonder whether <laughs> cults have predicated on the idea that you get people in an enclosed space, keep them isolated, and then they ultimately come to believe whatever the leader is espousing. And I wonder whether some companies have been successful using that methodology and suddenly everyone's working from home. That's just not so feasible because you're, 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 not, you're not trapping people in an environment for sort of long hours all, all days of the week. So I wonder whether this, this good culture and this this kind of nicer, kinder way of doing things has really has had a chance to take root. We've like had a chance to step back and go, no, actually, that is there is a better way.
1: Yeah, I, I guess that is slightly leading. I think in, in, in some ways you're <laughs> you're, you're predicating you know, the idea that people being together and you know, is, is slightly forced, and, and actually, I, I don't think that's that's true. Actually, I think sometimes the you know, so if you create a really enjoyable working environment, um, not that people don't want flexibility, but people actually want to be together, you create a great learning environment where you feel that actually I've got really good role models and mentors uh, available to me in person and um, that becomes desirable. And so, you know, in our, you know, certainly at Dartmouth and I think at, at Pure as well, the, we haven't implemented an a enforced return to work policy, we've just said, do what you need to do to, to, to do your job well. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, we're now at the point where we've been marshalling people away from the office because we were oversubscribed in a, an environment where we were still trying to have some form of, of distancing and that that's that's broken down. We've also grown, so you know, we're, we're actually out of desks. But yeah, the office as a destination has been one of those, those phrases that people are talking about post-lockdown, how do we get people back to the office? Um, I think if you create an environment where people want to be there, because they're going to learn, they're going to have fun. The jobs, our jobs, are social job largely. Mm. People come there, and you learn from one another, and you improve, and you better, and you share the highs and lows. You know there are both in, in this in this industry, but that then that, again that it is easier to build in person. And then we've got you know a greater number of people now who are working remotely more than two days a week. So we've got some people that are only coming in once a month because they've moved out out to Gloucestershire or down on the South Coast. Um, And I think Mm. the bit around ensuring that those people are still connected to the business um, and and understand what we're trying to achieve corporately rather than becoming small little islands, that becomes the new challenge. Um, And you have to be a lot more considered around that because there's not one size fits all, which is five days a week people come to the office. But from what I can see, people have adapted to that
0: reasonably quickly. Yeah. So, so I'm here there's so being together doesn't, doesn't have to be a positive or a negative. I mean, or done well, it can be a real positive. But there is then a challenge of how, how you deal with people who are if you've got some people always in the office and some people sometimes in the office, how do you treat them the same? How do you make sure the values resonate? How do you keep them involved? Is that fair?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, abs- 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 absolutely right. You've got to, yeah. It's, it's a it's a you know it's a, almost it's a broader group of people that you need to consider. How do we engage with them? And um, as I said, we just did this lunch, which was a hybrid lunch. You know, we had someone dialing in from Paris, whose um, reception was a bit mixed from home. Someone working from home. Someone out in Surrey, and then seven people in a in a in a room who could all see each other. Um, actually, had one person in Manchester, uh, and you know, it was it was actually quite quite a good uh, feel to the meeting. But it's 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 still very different. It's like disjointed when you've got five people on a screen and six people in one room. Mm.
0: I mean, I, I remember from doing previous like sort of global, global sales calls where you've got sort of some dialing in from Singapore, some dialing in from the UK, some dialing in from Switzerland. Suddenly, have it. It's, it's actually quite hard to get that. People who are not in the room don't get the same level of input or the same level of experience. I think if, if people are dialing remotely, so that must be a challenge. I mean, so how do you? If you've got this sort of increasing sort of two-type organisations, some people five days in, some people mostly not, apart from these lunches, what, what are you thinking about doing to kind of create that cultural synergy or, or, or protection?
1: Yeah. I guess the, you know from the, from the kind of big set pieces, getting people together, you know, whether that's monthly town hall or quarterly Outings, et etc., those are the big set pieces where you will get people together. Um, one of the things that I think the teams have done really well during during lockdown is making sure that you know daily kickoff call, you know, or two or three times a week kickoff call, wrap up calls still happen. And if you've got people dialing in, be being mindful that you haven't got four people in a room and two people dialing in, everyone just dials in together so it, it, it levels the playing field. Um, mm. and I think. Yeah, some of the things that we've adopted and kept. And this has been helpful as we've grown internationally, you know, weekly wrap-up calls where everyone dials in, regardless of you know, it used to be very much London-centric and we'd dial in our, our one foreign office. We've now got three foreign offices and a number of people that work remotely on, on a Friday. So actually just having that's a dial-in call ends the week quite quite neatly. But you know, I guess for us as we've grown relatively rapidly having more remote stuff that happens is a, is a natural part of um, the journey of a growing business, almost more than just mm. being a result of
0: lockdown. And, w- and, w- and what is what is next to you then? So have you, you've, you've, you've grown fast this stage. You've kind of created this multi-brand structure. What's 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 the next couple of years hold?
1: I think we're going to try and execute that lunch, aren't we, James, which is build a £100 build, <laughs> build, build million pound business. Um, I mean, uh, you know, we—I I, I can't actually remember whether we were, we were we were very serious about lunch or not, but um,
0: <laughs> I, I hope I hope not too serious. I think we I think very half serious. Yeah, we've made it public now,
1: so might as well use it as the starting point. <laughs> um, and we didn't actually talk about whether that was valuation or or sales, but we we hope to achieve both. Yeah, we're 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 running at a healthy healthy EBIT this year. I think we can aim to double the EBIT in the next four years and treble the EBIT in the next six. You know, and the thing that for me that I don't want to lose sight of, I've always wanted to grow a really big business. I also want us to be known for being the best. And I mean the best in terms of outward facing, that's just the best service. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm going to steal um, Vernon from Metro Bank's phrase, you know, fans not customers has been one of our mantras from the beginning. And we want people to walk out the door having met with us and saying, that was just brilliant. What a great service. What a great, great business. And then internally, the same, you know, really looking after our people, no matter how much success we get, keeping our feet on the ground, um, you know, being the guys that are willing to go the extra mile, come what may, for clients and candidates, um, and for colleagues. Um, and I think if we keep doing that, that's a good formula and recipe for business success. We need to make sure the infrastructure grows with it. But over the next four years, you know, growth, international growth, you know, is all is all part
0: of the business plan. Which leads nicely in to sort of wrap up in terms of, sort of the top tip. I mean, if if, if you were some listening to this and you're and you're going for that 100 million business, what's the what's the tip that you would provide for them?
1: Yeah, I, I think look, I think there are there are there are two things probably. You know, one is a, a pragmatic thing for for CEOs or or, or founders or leaders, which is the, I think don't don't forget why you're doing it. Yeah, you know, so I know the, the podcast is about how to, how to, a 100 million pound business. It's not for everyone. Right There's, there are there are changes and developments that you need to go through, and for some people, it's it's not worth the hassle. Um, it's not worth the the change. You know, it might not be worth the personal sacrifice. You know, and I'll openly say that I've got three kids. Uh, this this is my fourth, and I've probably spent as much time, if not more time, raising this this child than I have my other three. And mm. I, my wife's done a great job, you know, uh, on on the on the home front. Um, but I think a lot mm. of people end up resenting their businesses because they're doing something that they didn't plan to do um and so you know, i think you should just, you know you only get one chance of it do it do what you enjoy the second bit though if you are going to grow something i think there are loads of ways to grow businesses you can do them you can and um, they don't all have to look the same but again that cultural bit um for us kindness and excellence works but for other people it won't it, it won't do But working actively on the culture that you want to create that you think works best for you and is a good reflection of you as a human being and, and your business, I think you can't lose sight of that. We spend so much time looking at the numbers, and we obviously use the numbers as a, a gauge for how we're performing. But I think if you don't if you don't enjoy the culture that you're working in, and you don't feel it reflects well in you, again you'll start to resent the business. Um, and you know, my view is, well, what's the what's the point? You know, and as I said, fortunately for me, I think the culture we're we're creating is actually makes good commercial sense as well. Those would be my two tips
0: thanks for listening today and hopefully you've taken away one thing to think about or try let me know in the comments if there's something you'd like us to explore in future episodes or just reach out on linkedin or podcast at district4.io let's keep learning and building great companies together